and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 82 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, I am incredibly excited and honored to share with all of you my interview with Disney animator Floyd Norman. He is a Disney legend, in fact. He was named a Disney legend in 2007 and worked at the Walt Disney Studios during Walt's era. He was hired in 1956 to work at Walt Disney Animation and worked on films like Sleeping Beauty, The Jungle Book, The Sword in the Stone, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, Robin Hood, and so much more. We have a really fun discussion and an interesting discussion about what it was like to work at Disney. We talk about Floyd's background working in animation at Disney and beyond, and we talk about some of his more recent projects, including his book, Animated Life, as well as the documentary that was created about his life in 2016 called Floyd Norman and Animated Life from directors Michael Fiore and Eric Sharkey and Fiore Media Group, and just so much more. It was a really amazing discussion I am so excited to share with all of you. The end of the episode, I'll come back and share a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer podcast. Floyd, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Such a pleasure to have you. You have done so much at Disney and your history goes way back. And so it's uh, I've had some, some folks who've worked with Walt on the show before, but there's not that many left, sadly. So it's always yeah. wonderful to get uh, someone on the show who who did work directly with Walt or worked on anything in the world of Disney in a capacity like yours. It's fantastic. Um, so to kick things off, I, I would love to start with what I think is kind of going back to your childhood. And it's a quote that I found on the uh, D23 bio that they have for you. And it's a quote of yours that says, quote, I first recognized Walt Disney's signature before I could read. I would see that famous signature on books and comics. And I asked my grandmother, what is that name? And she said, that's Walt Disney. I never forgot the name. I just felt like I wanted to work at the Disney studio one day. And of course he did. Uh, So I guess growing up, (laughs) what was it about Disney that attracted you to work there? Or what was it about even animation that inspired you to go into that field? Oh, it's the sheer magic of animation. Uh, Not just the kids who would eventually grow up and one day do this job. I think it fascinated all children. I mean, you you go to see a Disney film and it was a very special occasion. There's something about uh, animated storytelling that it's totally different uh, than anything else. It's magical. It truly is. And going to a Disney film, even as a young kid, even before you even understand what animation is it's always a fascinating experience for those of us who truly fell in love with this medium we just knew this is what we wanted to do when we were grown-ups we wanted to make these magical movies we wanted to tell these enchanting stories and so that just became a goal for me even as a young child there's 
there's just that Disney magic and uh, I wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, I understand that uh, when you got a little bit older, you even uh, took a trip to the Disney studio at some point. Is that correct? Uh, when I graduated from high school. Yes. Yeah, I, I uh, certainly wasn't ready for a job at Disney having only graduated from high school, but I did make the short drive down the coast to the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank on a Saturday morning and had my first sort of a job interview at Walt Disney Studios where they looked at my portfolio, they looked at my artwork and gave me some good advice. Uh, they recommended that I, that I go to art school and to uh, basically bone up on becoming a better artist. And once I had done that, uh, then come back and we would talk about the possibility of a job at the Walt Disney Studios. Really great advice. I always love when, especially when you're enthusiastic and you, you not just, you know, show up by sending a portfolio, but literally show up in person, you know, looking yeah. for a job. I, I always love when those, uh, those uh, leaders will give you some solid advice. And uh, of course it, it worked out for you. Yeah. So um, was it right, right after art school that you ended up going to work for Disney? Well, the way it worked out, uh, I did enroll at Art Center College of Design in Los Angeles, a four-year course. And surprisingly enough, in my third year of art school, I received an unexpected telephone call from the Walt Disney Studios. And they offered me the opportunity to come into Disney, even though I, I had not completed my schooling. They offered me the opportunity to come in and basically join their Disney training class. That's fantastic. And one of the things I have spoken with a couple of other animators at Disney and the interesting thing, and the same similar story of going to an art program of some kind and then working for Disney and finding that the reality of animation, even at, you know, especially at Disney, but anywhere is a little different, um, or there are there are some things they can't teach you in art school um, when you when you go on to the job. So, was there anything, I guess, surprising or different about uh, starting up at Disney that might have? I, I understand you you know you did a training program with them. Was there anything there that was uh, either surprising or felt new compared to what you had been learning in school at the time? Well, I think everything felt new. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's what was so amazing being at the Disney studio. Everything was fresh and new. I mean, there was so much to see, so much to learn. In a way, it was almost overwhelming for all of us young kids to suddenly find ourselves thrust into the midst of these Disney masters. Now, we're talking about the men and women who had made the Disney classic films, the films that we had grown up on as children. And here we were being trained, being mentored by these same men and women who had made the Disney classic animated films. So yeah, uh, it was a, a major step being out of school. Uh, in a sense, we were beginning a new form of school, a new training as we learn how to become Disney artists and all of that, and all of what that represents. So for us, it was just an opportunity to, to almost like take a master class in filmmaking 
a master class in art and animation. Uh, we had so much to learn. We were all very young, all very green, but we had so much to learn. And that made every day so exciting because I, I, I think every day we learned something new. There was always something surprising, something we hadn't seen before, we hadn't known before. Sometimes learning can be really, uh, you know, something fantastically enjoyable. It's not drudgery. It's not difficulty. It's, it's, it's a joy to learn. And our training at Disney was just, just like being thrust into a wonderland of knowledge. And we had a, we had a great time learning and becoming uh, better artists ourselves. I find that's really critical in any career, and it's definitely something that I've heard other folks, other animators talk about is this idea of you're always learning, you're always developing, yeah. you never quite reach it. Um, that's true. I think yeah. even Waltz acted that way, and it's why, you know, he start with shorts, and you look at the end of, the, end of his career, and he was dreaming about building cities. Uh, oh, yes. Just, right, right. He was. Walt was always learning. Yeah. That's Walt right. Walt was always, edu- always educating himself. Absolutely. And I guess speaking yeah. of Walt, do you, um, do you recall the first time that you met him? Uh, didn't really meet him, but I recall the first time we saw him and that was walking down the hallway on the third floor of the animation building. That was our first in-person sighting of Walt Disney. And uh, of course we were all young kids. We were all totally uh, dumbstruck by the appearance of Walt Disney even though here we were at the Walt Disney Studio, why would that why would that be a surprise to see Walt Disney? But in a way, it was a big surprise because even though Walt Disney was someone we had seen and in, in, in a sense seen him on television, seen photographs, seen movies, we'd never seen Walt Disney in person. So when he came walking toward us, it was. Um, it was pretty traumatic, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> we, 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 we all sort of uh, backed away uh, awestruck as the old maestro walked past us. But I will never forget that, that morning when we, we uh, got our first, uh, our first glimpse of Walt Disney in person. Yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. I could only imagine it'd be like uh, it's one thing to work there. It would almost be like encountering him in the parks. Of course, it's a, it's Disneyland. Yeah. You expect Walt built the yeah. place, but it's still stri- you know, striking to see him in person, a, a totally different, uh, totally different thing. Um, oh yeah. It was a, re- a real surprise. Yeah. yeah. So I, I understand that when you, you know, when you started out there, uh, there were quite a few number of, of movies that were in the works during your period of time in those uh, early years. And, uh, you know, things like Sleeping Beauty, The Sword in the Stone, The, the Jungle Book, a lot of really iconic yeah. films. What was it right. like to, to work on those films? Did you have sort of any idea of what a massive success they would be even decades later? Um, or, what, you know, yeah. I guess, what did it feel like in the moment working on those films? Well, keep in mind that simply coming to the Walt Disney Studio, uh, as we did in uh, February of 1956, there was so much going on. Uh, keep in mind, the Walt Disney Studio was a, a hotbed of creativity and production. There was so much going on. Keep in mind, Walt Disney was filming uh, live action features on the Disney Studio back lot. Walt Disney 
productions were doing films over uh, doing films abroad over in the UK. They were making movies. Uh, we were doing a weekly television show, Disneyland. We were doing a daily television show, The Mickey Mouse Club. We were making animated short cartoons, uh, theatrical shorts. And, of course, we were doing the feature film, Sleeping Beauty. So imagine all of that activity. Imagine all of that creativity all happening at the Walt Disney Studio. It was just so exciting. And to be a young person coming into this world of fantastic creativity, uh, seeing all of these famous Disney artists all around you, seeing famous movie and TV stars all around you, seeing Walt Disney himself, you know. So it was a, it was a fantastic time. And of course, uh, Sleeping Beauty, the, the, main, the main attraction, the big deal at the, at the studio at the time, Sleeping Beauty was in production. And it was a massive production. I mean, that, that uh, took the services of over 600 artists. And keep in mind, this was a time when animated films were made by hand. Right. There, were no, there, were, there was no computer to assist us. Everything about the film was literally handmade. Artists and, and, and craftspeople working diligently to craft a motion picture by hand. Uh, it, it was a fantastic time to be at the Walt Disney Studio. And of course, Sleeping Beauty was followed by a number of other films. Uh, Sword, uh, 101 Dalmatians followed Sleeping Beauty. And that was followed by The Sword and the Stone. Uh, that was followed by Mary Poppins. And then uh, The Jungle Book followed Mary Poppins. And regretfully, The Jungle Book was Walt Disney's final film. Yeah, that's right. Um, I know that was a, sort of a pivotal moment in the studio, too. I yeah, guess. it was a traumatic, traumatic moment. Yeah. Do you, uh, just to divert for, I guess, a minute on that topic, do you sort of remember, and I've only asked a, a couple of folks this question because not, again, not everybody was, was there. Do you remember yeah. hearing about uh, Walt Disney passing? And I guess what sort of impact did that have on you? Well, it is, it is a, uh, I, I remember vividly what things were like. I remember I was uh, stopping in at the studio on Thursday. Of, I don't know what I had to do. I was working off-site, but I stopped at the Disney studio, and I remember going to the, what we call the, uh, the guard shack. It was the uh, security area where you would drive into the uh, studio lot to park your car. Right. And anyway, anyway, I remember talking to one of the studio security guards and asking about Walt Disney because we all knew that Walt Disney was across the street from the studio. Uh, he was in St. Joseph's Hospital, which was directly across the street from the Disney studio. And I said, Bill, have you heard any news about Walt? How's he doing? And Bill was optimistic. He says, well, the, the news I hear is that Walt is doing just fine. Uh, they say he's doing just great and making a speedy recovery. Well, uh, you know, we were all very positive, very optimistic that uh, Walt was doing okay. We had no idea how sick uh, he was. And the very next morning, uh, and we didn't know this, but the very next morning, Walt Disney passed away. Uh, the formal announcement did not happen until Friday afternoon. Uh, 
So none of us got the word about Walt Disney's passing until late Friday afternoon, even though Walt had passed away that Friday morning. So when the news finally hit, and I, I mean, it was, we were, it was like a thunderbolt. Uh, I'll never forget when we heard the news, Walt Disney had died. It was unbelievable. It was truly unbelievable. It's like, I don't know if we all took a departure from reality, but it was as though we said to ourselves, wait a minute, how could this, how could this happen? How could Walt Disney die? You know, well, he's mortal like any other man, but somehow it, it, there was just sort of the sense of disbelief yeah. that we had suddenly, we had suddenly lost Walt Disney. And that was really a difficult thing to comprehend. And I do recall that many uh, artists left work early that Friday afternoon. Many uh, older gentlemen uh, walked to their cars in the parking lot in tears. It was probably one of the most devastating afternoons I recall in my life. The, the loss of Walt Disney uh, was just traumatic. And I will never forget that Friday afternoon after hearing the news of the passing of Walt Disney. Yeah, it's definitely a, I mean, a, I think the whole world kind of felt the magnitude of that one. Um, just yeah. again, I wasn't physically there at the time, of course, but uh, it's just the, you hear the stories of uh, the, 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 how much he changed the world and uh, yeah, brought happiness right, to so many right. people. And it's like a, a dark cloud just sort of consumed <laughs> um, the oh, studio yeah. and the world yeah. that day. So. Yeah, and I'll and I'll tell you, uh, recovering from that Friday afternoon, I would say, took nearly a decade. Wow. I, I I honestly I honestly think we were so taken aback by the loss of Walt Disney that the studio went through a period of nearly ten years trying to recover from the loss of Walt Disney. Now the studio tried its best to move on. And we moved on and we kept working and made other films and the theme park continued at, you know, Disneyland and uh, work began down in Orlando, Florida on Walt Disney World. But I'll tell you, recovering from the loss of Walt took a while. And I think that we sort of stumbled and fumbled for nearly a decade before we finally got our footing again. But it took a while. Yeah, I, I I mean I think that that makes sense and just looking at uh history and the, the documentaries and the books out there and the, the stories like these yeah. it, it definitely is a common theme that's uh that's mentioned in all those cases. Um Oh yeah. So I I mean obviously Walt was a big name but I know that you talked about earlier the fact that there were these legends at the studio that were there and I know even you know Sleeping Beauty uh -huh. starting with Sleeping Beauty you had Mark Davis and Milt Call and Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston, you know, all these really big yeah. animators. Um, was there any in yeah. particular that you felt was uh, either one that you looked up to or that you felt maybe <laughs> even acted as a mentor for you during those years? Well, you know, we had so many mentors. And uh, one of the things about talking about the nine old men, and they are a fantastic group of guys, uh, Besides the nine, there were many, many, many more men and women who were awesome artists and uh, awesome talents in their own right. 
as 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 great or you know as great as the nine old men. Now it was a pleasure to work with some of Disney's finest animators, and I, I had the opportunity to uh, meet all of them, work with most of them, and uh, I'll tell you that was a uh, it was an honor. It was an honor to to. Uh, get to know and work with uh, some of the finest animators in, in, in the industry, in the business. Uh, they were they were just great. And plus, there were many, many more uh, names we that are not household names, but the studio had so many talented men and women who were just, you know, at the top of their game. Uh, names, besides the nine, you had uh, people like Mary Blair, who was so uh, instrumental, not not only in the Disney films, but in the design work done at the theme parks at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. You had Imagineers like Rolly Crump and uh, the great John Hinch and, and Herbie Ryman, and all of these all of these amazing talents that we had the opportunity to rub shoulders with. Uh, initially, we were as kids we were awestruck by these Disney talents. But then in time, we became uh, their assistants, and we learned from them. And uh, over time, as the years went past, uh, some of us even became the best of friends. And as they were moving toward retirement, would pass on knowledge and information to us young kids who had to uh, pick up the baton and and move on. So uh, all I can say, it was a pleasure to have worked with some of the greatest talents in the world who just happened to be at the Walt Disney Studio and to have access to these amazing men and women and the fact that they would share their knowledge with us, that they were gracious enough to teach us, inform us, mentor us, and make us better artists. It was a real pleasure to have that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really amazing people you mentioned there. And even like you said, if there's anybody who was even working at Disney at the time, it was someone who was highly talented and skilled and had yeah. a, lot to, a lot to offer and, and still a you lot bet. to learn at the you same bet. time. Um, right. One of the things that you know, inspires me is that, you know, this was back in the, the 50s, um, you know, the 1950s. And I feel like Right. Walt in particular and and a lot of the, the you know the talented people there were so many different diverse like people that were working there and even thinking about the this was before, you know almost a decade before the civil rights movement and um yeah. you were you yeah. were working there in addition to I know other people of of color and uh, from different nationalities and from even the fact that there were people like Mary Blair and, you know, even women at the time were not always yeah. in those sorts of positions at other companies. I guess, can you talk a little bit about the, the uh, diversity or the, the feeling of inclusion at, at Disney at the yeah. time? This is one of the things that I've, uh, uh, that I've been happy to do. And that is to speak uh, against all of the criticism uh, labeled, uh, you know, leveled at Walt Disney. Uh, Walt has been labeled uh, a gender bigot. Uh, he's been called an anti-Semite, and he's been called a racist. Uh, it was my good pleasure to get to know uh, Walt Disney's daughter, his eldest daughter, Diane Disney Miller. Mm -hmm. And Diane, uh, especially 
was pleased that I was happy to counter all of these accusations uh, leveled at her father. Walt Disney uh, was not a gender bigot. Uh, he gave opportunities to women at his studio. As a matter of fact, Walt Disney was probably more progressive than any other Hollywood studio when it came to giving opportunities to young women. One of the jobs I did when I came to Disney was work in the commercial division, a, co a division that made a lot of money for the studio producing television commercials. Well, that division was run by a woman, Phyllis Harrell. And I dare say no other studio in Hollywood had a woman running the film division. So Walt Disney was not only fair to women, but he gave women the opportunities and insisted they be paid as well as the men. Walt Disney was certainly not an anti-Semite. There were many, many Jewish people working at the Disney studio. Artists, writers, musicians. Uh, some of the closest uh, guys who were the closest to Walt's heart were Robert and Richard Sherman, the Sherman brothers, who wrote so many of the fantastic and classic Disney songs that right. people still sing today. Robert and Richard Sherman were as close as you could get to Walt Disney. Walt loved those guys, and they were Jewish. They were Jewish, and that made no difference uh, to Walt. Uh, he gave uh, people uh, from a Jewish background every opportunity to work at his studio. Walt could in no way be called an anti-Semite. Finally, Walt was in no ways a racist. Uh, the people who worked at his studio as far back as the 1940s, uh, the great uh, Mil Milton Kwan and, and, and uh, Tyrus Wong, uh, Chinese-Americans who, who worked at his studio. Uh, there were people there from literally all over the world who were employed by, by Walt. Walt was no racist. It was Walt Disney who gave me the opportunity to work in his story department, a, a very uh, coveted job, a job that many, many people wanted. And Walt handed me that opportunity to work in his story department on The Jungle Book. And so uh, in no way could I ever label Walt Disney a racist. He's probably one of the most uh, respectful and, and fair-minded uh, gentlemen I've ever known. Uh, Walt was a good guy. He was a tough guy. He was uh, a demanding guy. He expected you to do your best work. But he was certainly uh, the fairest man I've ever worked for, the best boss I've ever worked for, and a man who was uh, showed great respect for everybody, no matter what your station in life. Walt Disney always showed the uh, from the, the the highest person in his in his uh, hierarchy to the lowliest person on his janitorial staff, he treated all people respectfully, and I that's one thing I can certainly attest to uh, about the character of Walt Disney. Fantastic, and and thank you for for sharing all that too. It's inspiring to hear it, especially from a firsthand point of view. And it's something yeah. that I've always uh, respected and admired. And it's uh, I I often get that question. It's hard as someone who wasn't there to express it, except through these stories. But yeah, uh, yeah. it's uh, it's inspiring to know that too. Um, well, I'm I'm happy that I was there to be able to live it and see it firsthand. So I tell people when I speak, I don't I'm not speaking from what I've heard or from what I've read, 
I was there at the studio. I was there with Walt Disney. And uh, that's why I uh, make a point of letting people know what the truth, what the truth is. Yeah, I, I appreciate it for yeah. sure. Uh, it's it's you're right. Sure. It, it doesn't get doesn't get any uh, any more direct yeah. than that. Being being in the room in the place where it all uh, where it all happened. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I know you did. You know, obviously, quite a bit after after um, leaving the Disney Studios, and then even that included going back to work at the Disney Studios. So, what were some of the projects that you worked on um, after? I guess formally leaving uh, around Walt's passing or shortly after Walt's passing. Um, you know, what were some of the projects you worked on from that point forward? Well, uh, one of the uh, one of the major moves in my career was leaving the Walt Disney Studio. Uh, ironically enough, the same year uh, we lost Walt, uh, nineteen sixty six. I decided to uh, leave the Disney studio for the first time, not because I was dissatisfied, but because I needed to get out of a comfortable rut. And that is to step out on my own, take some chances, take some risk. And taking risk is something that uh, Walt Disney certainly did. I was working outside the Walt Disney studio for a number of years, doing a number of different jobs when I received a call to return to the studio to help out on a film called Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, uh, a live action animated film that they were doing in the early 70s. Around that same time, after wrapping up Bed Knobs, I decided to stay on because I wanted to animate on a film called Robin Hood. And so I was actually an animator on the Disney film Robin Hood and uh, left after that film to do a stint in television, working for the production company, Hanna-Barbera Productions over in Hollywood, where I worked at Hanna-Barbera for about seven years on everything from the Flintstones to the Smurfs to Scooby-Doo, and came back to Disney in the early 80s to take a job in Disney's publishing department where I would be a writer on published materials, not film, but be working on books and comics and everything that was part of print media. And I did that for about 10 years before finally returning to the film division in, I believe, 1993. I returned to film to work on The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Amazing movies, by the way. Hunchback of Notre Dame is one of my favorite uh, movies from the the Disney Renaissance period, yeah. too. Um, yeah, beautiful yeah. film. Quite a quite a film. Yeah, I was uh, happy to return to film. I'd been away from film for a decade, and I came back to the film department to to work on the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, amazing film. Um, yeah. Now, more recently, I know you've you've had which I, I love uh, you you and uh, another person interviewed on the show, Bob Gurr, are are both you know people who work directly uh, during Walt's era and and still are going strong and still working, which is inspiring. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, and I knew, for two old guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I say you're. Uh, I know you turned uh, eighty five uh, this year. I say eighty five years young. It's all a matter of how you feel inside. Yeah. <laughs> 
Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm 85. <laughs> so I know that one of the things you did, and it's it's sitting on my desk right next to me, is uh, you wrote a book, um, Animated Life, Lifetime of Tips, Tricks, Techniques, and Stories from an Animation Legend. Um, I'm, I'm not oh, in yeah. the animation field. So for me, it was simply a lot of fun to just peruse through a lot of the the, the drawings that you have in there and uh, just to take a look at some of the ideas. But what was your inspiration for putting that book together? Well, a lot of people had, uh, and especially a lot of kids, uh, would come come up to me and ask, what was it like starting your career at the Disney studio? Or what was it like working on this or that particular uh, project? And so I thought I would sit down and, and uh, write a book. Not not a biography necessarily, but a book that would detail my experiences because I had many my experiences at the Walt Disney Studio, and so that's why I wrote uh, Animated Life. I honestly never really expected anybody to publish it. I think I, I sat down and wrote the book, kind of an exercise to get all of these stories off my chest. Lo and behold. Uh, I went to a party in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, it was during a, what was the ABA, uh, the, the big booksellers show. And there were a number of publishers would always attend this show every year. So anyway, I took a mock-up of my book down to show potential publishers, just in case somebody might want to publish my book. Well, lo and behold, two weeks later, I received a call from Focal Press, and they said, we would like to publish your book. And I was totally surprised by that, totally blown away. I didn't think anybody would have any interest in my book about my stories at the Disney studio, but apparently they did. And so I finally had my book published and uh, it, it was a real joy. It was a joy to write it because it was fun to write, but it was a joy to, to uh, share my life and experiences with so many fans of animation and so many fans of Disney. And uh, that's why I wrote Animated Life. Yeah, it's a beautiful book too. It's, there's, you know, you buy books and a lot of times they're interesting and informative. <laughs> and, and this one is too, but I find it's also, there, there are certain books that have a, almost like a coffee table appeal. Like you would put it out in, a, in, in yeah. your, your family room and just have it as on display. Like, I feel like it's just a great book to have as a, as a Disney fan or a uh, fan of animation. It's just a beautiful, beautiful book. So um, I wanted, I wanted the book to be a fun read. Uh, I, I, people have, have told me that they've, they've read the book in a single sitting. They'll, they'll have it by their nightstand, by their bed, and they'll just pick it up and they'll read the entire book in one, in one evening because it's a fairly fast read. It's an easy read. It's not, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a deep and heavy book. It's a book about, making cartoons so how heavy can that be but i think it's a fun book and people seem to enjoy it and like i said i had a lot of fun writing it and it was just nice to be able to share my experience at disney with those who wanted you know a little more in depth about what i did in all my years at the studio yeah absolutely well the other thing we have to talk about because of course the book is one great way to get some insight into your work at Disney, but perhaps the the bigger one or the one that even goes beyond Disney is 
that in 2016, you had a documentary created about you, the Floyd Norman and animated life film from directors Michael Fiore and Eric Sharkey and Fiore Media Group. Um, I know it it was on Netflix for a few years. And uh, it was recently on Turner Classic Movies, actually, for the, uh, the yes, home it, edition yes, it was. of the Classic right. Film Festival. I guess, can you talk a little bit about what it took to bring this film to life and how it feels for you to have a documentary about your life? Well, one of the things that's kind of uh, kind of sweet about this film is that I am a lover of documentaries. I love documentaries. I love, I love making them, and I love watching them. And so, as a matter of fact, I've been uh, enjoying a, a lot of really uh, fun documentaries on Disney Plus, Disney's streaming channel. I have and I've to. been watching. I, yeah, I've been watching documentaries on on, uh, on Disney Plus. Well, in this case, the uh, producer and director uh, Michael Fiore and Eric Sharkey approached me about doing a film uh, about my life and career at Disney. I was. Once again, totally taken aback because I wondered why would anybody want to make a movie about me? I, I didn't see anything about my life that was um, film worthy. Uh, I, I, I wasn't a person of note or I wasn't a person who had uh, overcome some uh, awesome handicap to to find success. I, I just didn't see my life as being worthy of a motion picture. You know, I kind of wondered, why do you guys want to even make this movie? But they were insistent on doing this film. And so I said, well, if you indeed insist on making the movie, I will give you my complete cooperation. Well, we spent about a year shooting it and another year in post-production. And uh, the film was completed and people seemed to enjoy it. And that's the main thing. I was delighted that people seemed to find my life interesting. Maybe some found it inspiring. I don't know. I would like to think so. But uh, once again, it was a kind of, at least for me anyway, a labor of love. Because all I did was once again share what I do at the Walt Disney Studio. And that it is I share my creative life. I share what I do for a living. I share what makes me happy and what hopefully makes other people happy. And that is by creating magical worlds and sharing that with children and with adults who still have the child in them, much in the same way Walt Disney shares his magic with with all of us. And uh, there's nothing better than that, nothing better than being able to entertain people and to bring a little bit of joy and happiness into their lives. Uh, it's the best job in the world. I can't imagine any job that could bring one more happiness and fulfillment than creating animated films and creating wonderful characters, telling enchanting stories. And uh, it's great to be a part of all that. And so I, I'm delighted that the film was made. I, I'm happy that people seem to like it. And uh, once again, it was it was fun doing it, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad people uh, that people watched it and and seemed and seemed to enjoy it. Absolutely, and and well put. I, I love that magical mission of uh, yeah you know, entertaining and and bringing joy, and it's just a wonderful career to have. Oh yeah, oh yeah, 
Yeah, um, and, and that's why it's so wonderful to go to the, to the Disney theme parks and just look at the faces of people. You're, you're watching people having a, a wonderful time, and, and it doesn't get much better. It doesn't get much better than that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know. Um, well, I first of all hope sometime at least in the future like you said there's a lot of documentaries on disney plus i'm hoping maybe one day we'll see it on yeah i don't know i'm hoping uh they'll pick it up but uh i know there's a lot of factors that go into that so we'll see i guess on that subject um like you said there's even more than we had time to talk about today there's just so much you've been working on where can people go to follow you or to keep updated with any new projects you have in the works I'm out there. People can easily find me by simply typing my name, simply Google my name, and you're going to find Floyd Norman somewhere on the internet. Well, to make it very easy through the magic of podcasting, I will include a couple of those links. I'll try to find your blog and I'll include it in the, the next oh, yeah. episode so it's easy to find. And yeah. same thing with your, yeah, it's your not, Facebook page. It's not hard to find. Yeah, it's not, it's not hard to find. <laughs> I find <laughs> Yeah, I'm out there. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, perfect. Well, um, Floyd, I mean, this has been, uh, this this conversation has gone so fast, but, um, and we could have, I know, talked for hours, but I appreciate you taking some time to chat with us and to share some stories about your work at Disney and beyond. And I'm definitely looking forward to your work to come. So inspired that you continue to work to this day. So thank you so much again for your time. No, it's my pleasure. Both me and Bob Gurr are uh, Very <laughs> we're in busy. our eighties, <laughs> but we, but neither of us has slowed down yet. So we're gonna we're gonna keep on doing what we do. So thank you very much for having me. I've, it's been a real pleasure sharing my Disney life, my Disney experience with you. And with that, we close out episode 82 of the Imagineer podcast. I want to give a very special thank you once again to Floyd for lending his time to share all these stories about what it was like to work at the Walt Disney Studios, to share all about his career background and some of the more recent projects. I, again, encourage you to check out his book, Animated Life, as well as the documentary, again, created in 2016, Floyd Norman, an animated life, from directors Michael Fiore and Eric Sharkey and the Fiore Media Group. You can check that all out. I have some links in the show notes of this episode. And again, a very special thank you to Floyd. Of course, I want to turn this question over to you and learn of all of Floyd's movies. There's a lot that he worked on. There's a lot that he's animated. Which of his projects is your favorite? You can send me your answers and feedback in so many different ways. Of course, I encourage you to reach out to us and to follow us on social media. You can find Imagine Your Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Imagine Your Podcast. Plus, you can find us on Twitter at Imagineer News. And if you would like to converse, not just with me, but with other members of the Imagineer podcast community, definitely check out our Facebook group, The Imagination, also called The Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, where again, you can chat not just about this episode, but so many Disney-related topics with a large community of Disney fans just like you. 
You can also send me an email at imagineerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't already subscribe to the show, I would encourage you to hit the subscribe or follow button, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. That way you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you have five seconds and even 60 seconds, I would encourage you to leave us a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store. And if you have five seconds just to leave us a rating, if you have a minute to leave us a review, it does so much. We have over 375 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and on Facebook for that matter. And I sincerely appreciate all of you who take the time. I do my best to uh, share some of those uh, reviews on my Instagram story or Facebook story, especially those that I find to be inspiring. And as always, just encourage and appreciate all of you who have taken the time to rate and review the show. And of course, if there's anything that I can do to make this show better for you or make this community better, just send me a direct message or an email, again, on any of our social media pages or at Imagine Your Podcast. I personally read every direct message and email that I get and do my best to respond to as many, if not every email and message. Sometimes it takes me a little while, but I appreciate and I take to heart all the feedback that you have. One of the best things you could do for the show is simply to share it, by the way, whether you share out this episode or your favorite episode of the show or some of our social media content, whether you share it out again on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or LinkedIn or just talk about it with your friends. Sharing Imagineer podcast is perhaps the best way to help our community to grow. And if you want to take your love of Imagineer podcast one step further, might want to look into the Imagineer Society, which you can find over at patreon.com slash Imagineer podcast. Patreon, by the way, is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I also have a link in the show notes, or you can find it at imagineerpodcast.com. Imagineer Society is a way that you can help to support the show financially to help to pay for some of our expenses, including running our website and podcast. And there is quite a number of expenses associated with running this show. So that all goes to help the show tremendously. And in return, you get some wonderful perks and benefits, including things like early access to every podcast episode, access to a private Facebook group just for Imagineer Society members, a uh, my close friends list on Instagram, bonus podcast episodes of the show, uh, monthly video calls. There's a lot that I offer and it all depends on how much you would like to contribute, but even just $1 a month just $12 a year gets you perks and benefits in return. Again, you can learn more about that and see all the available perks and benefits over at patreon.com slash imagineerpodcast. And I would encourage you to check out our partners. First, check out the Kingdom Insider over at thekingdominsider.com because Christy has a lot of great information to share. I have seen her working harder than ever. I feel like she's been working nonstop putting up some really incredible uh, articles about what it's like to travel to Disney right now, some great information for parents, for Disney fans, and for those looking to bring even the magic of Disney into their own home. And what I love about Christy is she only shares news that is announced by Disney or from personal firsthand experience. She does not add to the rumor mill. She will only share 
what is confirmed. And in many cases, we'll even reach out to Disney to confirm news. So I appreciate that sincerely as a Disney fan and encourage you to check her out again at thekingdominsider.com or on social media at The Kingdom Insider. And when you're ready to plan your next trip to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, Aulani, or any other Disney destination, look into our partner Academy Travel because one, they've been doing this for over 25 years. Two, they are diamond earmarked. That is the highest level of distinction that Disney bestows upon travel agencies. They're one of the top three agencies for planning Disney vacations. And that's because they do an incredible job of providing a wonderful amount of service, an incredible level of service to their uh, to their clients. And what I love about the, their whole business model is that they do it all in free to you at no extra charge. So if you want to take out some of the guesswork and perhaps even find ways that you can maybe save money on a future Disney vacation, look into Academy Travel. Easiest way to get a free quote, no obligation, is if you look in the description of this podcast episode, you'll find links to individual places like Walt Disney World and Disney land that you can get a free quote or you can go to imagineerpodcast.com click on the travel drop down and that'll take you to those same forms there as well so definitely check them out over at academy travel last but not least i want to encourage you to go after your hopes and dreams and goals whatever they might be take those actions today there's never been a better time to go after whatever it is your dream is so go after those hopes and dreams and remember as always that inspiring quote from horizons if you can dream it you can do it thank you so much for listening to the show and we'll see you again in a future episode of the imagineer podcast